you have your Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. You can look on uh, the screen behind me, or you can also find the text printed for you in your worship bulletin. I will be reading from chapter uh, 17 of the book of John, these verses 20 through 26. Uh, this is God's word. I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray together. Father, this is a really uh, incredible passage. And we pray uh, now that you would use this passage to teach us and correct us and to train us and, Lord, to uh, show us the goodness of Jesus and show us how much he loves us. Lord, we pray this morning you would convince us that we are a bigger mess than we realize, but at the very same time, we are more loved and more accepted than we could possibly imagine. Lord, point us to Jesus this morning, and may we leave here this morning with our eyes on him and not on ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we have been studying the book of John uh, since January, and for the last several weeks we have looked at this section in the book of John, chapters 14 through 17, that's known as the farewell discourse. Uh, That is, it's just what it it says it is. It means it's Jesus' kind of parting words. It's his last speech, if you will, to his disciples. We're now in chapter 17, so we're at the end of the farewell discourse. And so now we are just hours away from Jesus' arrest and trial and crucifixion. We're now in the very final hours of Jesus' life. And Jesus has been instructing them. If you've been here the last few weeks, he's been talking to his disciples a lot about the helper, the Holy Spirit, who he will leave with them when he is gone. But now Jesus' instruction turns to prayer in chapter 17. This is known as the high priestly prayer. And if you look at your Bibles, you probably see that heading above chapter 17 that says the high priestly prayer. Why in the world is it called the high priestly prayer? Well, it finds its roots in Exodus chapter 28. 
where God gives instructions to the priests, some very strange instructions about their clothing when they go into God's presence and present prayers on behalf of God's people. Exodus chapter 28, God actually commanded the priests to wear certain shoulder garments and breastplates and they were to take these stones and adorn the shoulder garments and breastplates with these stones, but the stones had engraved on them the names of God's people. So you see, when the priest would go before God on behalf of the people, he would bring before God and he would bring shoulder, he came shouldering the burdens and the needs of God's people. He came into God's presence as well with the wearing the names of God's people close to his heart. So we get to the New Testament. Remember, the whole Old Testament points to one person. It points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we get to the New Testament, we learn that Jesus is the great high priest, the one to whom the Old Testament points. And so in John chapter 17... Jesus, the great high priest, he comes into the presence of God in this chapter. And what does he do? He brings before God the burdens of God's people and the names of God's people. See, John chapter 17, friends, is one of the most remarkable passages, in my opinion, in all of Scripture because God gives us an insight and allows us to hear the things that are closest to Jesus' heart. Think about it. When a person is dying and they know they're hours away from their death, what do they do? What do they talk about? Well, they talk about things that are closest to their heart, don't they? They talk about the things in their life that, is, that is, are most important to them, that they care about the most. And I want you to notice that the last thing that Jesus talks about, the thing that's closest to his heart, is you. You see, in this passage, we see that Jesus, in verses 1 through 5, prays for himself and his relationship with his Father. In verses 6 through 19, he prays for his disciples, but he closes the prayer. The very last thing that he prays is for you. That is the focus. And then the question is, what does he pray? Well, think about it. You would think that Jesus, he would pray as he's praying for us, would be praying that we would be bold in our witness for Christ. That we would have a good theology like the apostles or that we would really care for the poor. And yes, all those things are important, but that's not the last thing that Jesus prays. And that's not what he prays concerning us. What does he pray for? Unity. And not just any kind of unity. He prays for a unity and a oneness that exists between the Trinity, between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if you're a note taker this morning, the main idea of this passage is one word, and that is unity. That's the focus of the passage. And so we're going to look at that idea of unity under three headings. What is it? What kind of unity is Jesus talking about here? Secondly, what does it look like? And thirdly and finally, how do we get it? So those are the three things this morning. Let's look at what it is. Look at verses 20 and 21 and hang with me as we work through these two verses. 
it says, I don't ask for these only. Who are the these? He's talking about the 11 disciples. Remember, Judas has betrayed him. But I also am asking for those who believe in me through their word, through the word or through the testimony or the message or the witness of the apostles. And who are the those in this passage? The the those are us. It's everyone from these 11 disciples up until now and beyond until Jesus returns and takes us home. And so what does he pray for? Well, he's praying for us that those disciples and that all of us and all of the people after us, look at verse 21, that they all may be one just as the Father and Son are one. And so he's praying for unity. But here's the million-dollar question that I think is very important as we think about this passage and where people tend to go wrong looking at John chapter 17. The question is what kind of unity? What is he actually talking about here? Unified around what? Let me start by saying what he's not saying. He's not praying for a unity of structure. He's not praying even that we would be unified in everything we believe, all the way down to the every dot and T crossed, believe it or not. He's not praying that we would all in the Christian church, all 55, I think I googled it, thousand Christian denominations, that we would all have the same view of the sacraments or the same view of church government. That's not what he means. He's not praying that we would all get under one big roof as one big happy family in a big unity event. Not that that would be a bad thing, but that's not what Jesus is praying here. When he talks about unity and being unified and being one, He is simply talking about that we would be one in a continuation and the unity in the message that the disciples were proclaiming. He's meaning that praying that our message as the church would be the same as their message 2,000 years ago. That's what he's meaning. He's talking about unity in that sense. What was their message? Very simply, it was Christ and him crucified. Remember the Apostle Paul said, I claim to know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. Their message was the message of the gospel. And so when Jesus is talking about unity, it's around the message of the gospel. And so what does this mean? Well, it means that real Christian unity comes when the church is united in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if there's ever disunity in the church, it should come around that issue. Around the issue of the gospel. That's why Martin Luther is famous for saying that the article on which the church rises and falls is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this means for us that unity comes around proclaiming the gospel of good news, not the gospel of good advice. You know what I mean by that? You know, most people think, when they think about Christianity, the knee-jerk reaction that you get oftentimes is that Christianity is fundamentally about advice, not news. And I would say, meaning that Christianity is about what you must do and you must live a certain way in order to be acceptable to God. 
And I would also say that many of us this morning who would call ourselves Christians also struggle with that. We also struggle, don't we, with leaning into and thinking the gospel more often than not is advice rather than news. In other words, there's not much good news in our gospel lots of times, is there? See, we often think of it as advice. You need to stop doing this and start doing that. You need to start going to church more consistently. You need to read your Bible more and pray more and go to more religious activities and Bible studies. And if you follow that advice right down to the T, God will bless you and hear your prayers. You don't sin any, in big ways along the way. God will save you and bring you to be with him. That's not good news. Because that makes it all about you. And in fact, that's not news. That's advice that weighs you down with one more thing for you to fail at. That's burdensome. That's not freedom and liberation. Instead, it is constraining and often drags you down. You see, advice is something that you need to do. A few years ago, there was this middle school principal in Wisconsin who made national news uh, for posting an F list outside his office for everyone in the school that was passing by to see. He posted the student's name, and right next to their name was an F. And those who had an F next to their name were not allowed to attend the upcoming middle school dance. See, if we're honest, that's often the way we think about Christianity, isn't it? All the people who have made an F and have screwed it up can't go to the dance. Friends, that's the lie of religion. Religion is advice. Religion says, get your act together. Confess your sins and then come over here so that you can be good like the rest of us. That's not Christianity. Christianity is the complete opposite because Christianity is news about what someone, the Lord Jesus, has done for you. You see, Christianity says you'll never be good enough. That you can't clean your act up enough, but Jesus was good enough for you. Christianity says the reality is we're all on the F list (laughs) because we've all broken God's law. But the good news is that Jesus passed the test for us. And he takes our test and he rips it to shreds and takes us to the dance. Is that better news? Yes. That's why it's called the good news. And the unity that Jesus is talking about here is a unity around that message. Because that's the message that the apostles were proclaiming. And that is why at our church, every single thing we do, we want to center it on that message. We want you to leave here on Sundays and in every encounter you have with our church, not with your eyes on yourself and what you should be doing in order to make yourself acceptable to God, but with your eyes on Jesus and thankful and rejoicing for what he has done done for you. Secondly, 
What does it look like? It's interesting, this unity that is talked about in this passage is not unity for unity's sake, or it's not unity that's an end to itself, but it's actually a means to something else. It's a unity that has an outward face to the world. It's a unity with a means of, let me say it a couple different ways, a means to evangelism or a means to mission. It's a missional kind of unity. Look at verses 21 and 23 and you'll see what I mean. Probably picked up on this. Jesus prays twice in 21 and 23. May they be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you hear that? May they be unified so that the world would believe I am who I say I am. In other words, here's what he's saying. We are called to intentionally arrange our life in such a way so that people would see the way we love others and love Christians within our community so that the watching world would stop and say, something's going on there. We're not called to just any type of community But God is calling us to a community that would be so unique that the watching world cannot help but stop and take notice. A community where the world looks and says, how in the world are those people getting along? They have nothing in common. Those people should be enemies, but they're friends. So they look at the world and say there's no explanation other than something supernatural is happening inside that community. It's what we see with the disciples, isn't it? Think about the disciples. Think about who was sitting around this table with Jesus as he's praying this prayer. You have, I won't go through all of them, but you have Simon the Zealot. He hated Rome. He was a rebel against Rome, sitting right next to who? Matthew, the tax collector, who was working for Rome, who had sold out his own people in order to collect taxes off of his own people. Natural enemies, now friends. You have the doubter, Thomas, who struggles to believe. Sitting right next to Andrew who was eager and who was all in and shared his faith every chance that he got. Think about who was around Jesus. Think about the diversity of the people that were around Jesus. You had moral people and immoral people and joyful people and sad people. You had Republicans and Democrats. You had hard chargers like Peter. And then you had people who were more passive You had young people and old people. So when you hear Jesus talking about unity, it's not a unity. uh, It doesn't mean sameness. It's important. It doesn't mean sameness. In fact, it's the complete opposite. This kind of unity that Jesus is talking about doesn't go around differences. It actually transcends differences. Because when Jesus comes into your life, he relativizes your background. Did you hear that? When Jesus comes into your life, he levels and relativizes your background. And it means that 
Your background doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter how you grew up. It doesn't mean that it dissolves your background and that that's not a part of who you are, but your background in Jesus gets demoted and suddenly it is judged by the Gospels. Friends, in the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus is creating, it doesn't matter what school you went to. It doesn't matter what your job is and how much money you make. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white or Asian. Jesus' call for us is to drop our cultural hang-ups and come together as a New humanity. And when that starts to happen, look out. When that starts to happen, a watching world will look at that and say, wait a minute, those two people don't like each other. They have nothing in common because they are so different, but yet they are friends. When that starts happening in the Christian church, the watching world sees it, and it becomes missional. They want to be a part of something like that that transcends our natural differences. But let's be honest. That's extremely difficult, isn't it? It's extremely difficult because it takes so much hard work and intentionality on our part. And I'll include myself in this, but we do not like to place ourselves in diverse situations, do we? No, we like to spend time with people who are just like us. We like to spend time with people that are easiest for us to hang out with. Our natural instinct is to move towards people like that, that are just like us. And so we move towards, naturally, people with connections. Because we're hoping that those connections might be a benefit to us. Or we move towards people with the same views as us. The same views about the Bible, same views about politics. Because it's just easier. Or we move towards people that are the same age as us. And so we never have older friends or younger friends. But it's people that are our same age because we have more in common with them. Or if you're married, you hang out with married people because that's what's easiest for you. Or if you're married with children, you hang out with people that have children so that your kids will have someone to play with. Or professionally, you hang out with people uh, that or in the same profession, because it's easy to talk about work stuff. And when we do that, where does that leave us? <laughs> Completely surrounded with people that are just like us. And Jesus wants something better. Jesus wants something richer for our community. He wants something richer for our community, a community that we would choose for ourselves. It takes incredibly, uh, it's incredibly hard and difficult and takes lots of intentionality on our part and lots of prayer. And so, do you have friends and people that you're in relationship and the only thing that you have in common and the only thing keeping you together is Jesus? The simple fact that you know Jesus Do you have those people around you in your community? And if not, would you join me in praying? A very practical application is that we would simply pray for God to help us. 
and that he would give us different people around us, that we would have friends that are different from us. Lastly, how is this possible? How in the world are we to actually live this out in the world around us? You know, in this last point, um, sometimes preachers need to look at their people, and this is one of those instances, when they come upon a truth and simply just look at you and say, this is so amazing and so unbelievable and so hard to get your mind around and to really comprehend that I have no idea how to communicate this in a way that would make it land for you. And if I'm honest, I tried this week. I was, it was grueling because I was saying, how do I communicate this incredible truth to people? And I don't think I could do it. Because it is that amazing, but I'm going to try. But don't let this pass you by. And so I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would make this truth real to your heart in a way that we can't really comprehend. Look at verse 22. The glory you have given me, I have given to them. The glory you have given to me, that's what Jesus is saying, that God has given him, I have given to you. We look into the world for glory, don't we? And the glory of the world is fleeting and it fades and it passes away. But Jesus is saying here, I have given my people, you, a glory that is permanent, that never fades away. It gets better. Look at verse 23. And I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. And here it is. And loved them even as you have loved me. That's crazy. He's saying that God the Father loves you just as much as he loves his one and only son, Jesus. And I have no idea really what that means and how to grasp that in this finite mind. But here's what I do know. To the extent that you and I can get this, and to the extent that it captures and melts our heart, it's to the extent that we will have unity in our life and in our relationships and in every area. Because think about it. Almost all divisions... Almost all disunity comes out of what? It comes out of sinful insecurity in us. Disunity flows out into the world because of gospel amnesia. Because you and I have a problem of gospel amnesia and that we forget how much God really loves us. Think about it. For example, when you think about division in your relationships and you only want to move people that are... Uh, just like you, because it's hard and it's not easy, or you build barriers and walls in your life uh, that ice people out, what are you forgetting? You're forgetting the love of God for you. You're forgetting that Jesus moved towards you when it was not easy to love you because of your sin. And you're forgetting that God sent Jesus into the world to break the primary thing that Jesus does in the world is a breaking down of walls. Jesus came into the world to break down the wall of sin that existed between us and God. 
so that we could go and break down the walls that exist between us and other people. Forgetting the love of God for us. Or think about your anger that divides and your bitterness that divides because someone did not treat you with the respect that you thought you deserved. You're angry because they didn't give you the love you needed. What are you forgetting? Well, the Christian stops and says, wait a minute. I don't need to depend on them for my love. Because I'm loved by the only person in the universe that really matters. God the Father loves me just as much as he loves his one and only son. And so I don't have to be so insecure starving for love from other people because I've already got it. Or think about the reason why you don't celebrate. That leads to divisions because we can't celebrate and be happy for someone who has had something good happen in their life. Why can't we encourage people? Well, we can't encourage people because we're so fixed on ourselves. Because someone else is getting success and it reminds me of my failure and what I don't have. Gospel amnesia. You have forgotten what you do have. And that you have the love of God the Father. The love he has for his only son he has for you. Ricky Jones, and I'll end with this. You've heard me talk about Ricky Jones. He was a campus minister with RUF for many years, and he's a church planner now. And he tells this story. He has four older boys, and, or four uh, boys, and this is when they were younger. But he tells this story when they were running back home from the pool. They were all together as a family, and the youngest yelled, you know, let's race. And so you've had something similar happen in your family, I'm sure. Let's race. And the youngest gets the big head start. And the oldest refuses to let him win. He could not let his brother, who is half his age, beat him. And so he sprints as fast as he can. And he gets to the driveway. And right when they get to the finish line, the older brother grabs the younger one and pulls him to the ground and wins the race. And Ricky runs and he gets down on his son's level and he grabs him by the shoulders and says, Son, you have got to believe that you're not important because you're fast. But you are important. And you've got to believe this. You are important because you're mine. You are important because I love you. You see, we are exactly the same, aren't we? Most of the time, we don't want to be defined by God's love for us. But the truth is, and the most imp- is that the most important thing that can be said about you right now this morning is that you are known and loved by the creator of the universe. That's your identity. That's what defines you. And in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying that you and I would have the same intimacy that he has with the Father. He prays that we would have with the Father. But in order for that to be possible for us, Jesus actually had to forego his intimacy with the Father. You see, this actually wasn't the last prayer that Jesus prayed. You remember the last prayer that Jesus prayed is the next day when he was hanging on a cross 
And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you notice he didn't say, my father, my father. Why? Well, because he was experiencing disunity. Because he was bearing our sins. The punishment that we deserved. Friends, that's love. John Owen once said, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him is not to believe that He loves you. The greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay on the Father is to not believe that He loves you. Do you believe, I'll end with that this morning, do you believe that God loves you? You see, when that starts to define us, the love of God for us starts to define us, then unity will be the result in every area of our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us like this. Thank you that even when we were enemies, you died for us and moved towards us. And you moved towards us. We pray that your love would flow out of us into the world around us. We pray that those around us in our relationships would see something in us that is so different that they would be drawn to it. In Jesus' name, amen.